Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. This is where we get to talk about college football, college basketball, and we got all of it here today. Going to be talking about the Senior Bowl, looking at some draft prospects. We're going to invite on a patron in Matthew. He's going to be talking Big Ten basketball with us. Can't wait to talk. Talk to Matthew, and then we're going to look at the future of college basketball as Zion Williamson made his decision. And Brandon, to say the least, it shook the basketball, like literally shook the basketball world. And people did not know what to do with themselves yesterday when he made his decision to go to Duke. However, a little bit of housekeeping before the podcast. First off, Check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. If you like what we're doing here, want to make sure we can keep these lights on, make sure to check out that link in the description. Also, you want to get yourself an MVP t-shirt. All of that is in the description as well. All the steps so that you can buy one of those. If you're on iTunes or if you have an iTunes, make sure to go and give the primetime podcast a beautiful, a succulent, as some people would say, five star rating. And last but not least, If you have not already, go ahead and bookmark mostvaluablepodcast.com because that's where everything will go so you don't miss a beat of Most Valuable Podcast. And before I forget, go ahead and take that MVP survey. Let us know how we can make 2018 better. We want to get your feedback. That link is in the description as well. But, Brandon, housekeeping is over, and we're taking a look at the Senior Bowl. A little bit of draft talk, NFL draft talk here on the podcast, and We're looking at the prospects to watch this year at the Senior Bowl. Senior Bowl this upcoming Saturday. And how it's going to work is it's Saturday the 27th, 2.30 Eastern time. You've got the Denver Broncos. Their staff is going to be coaching the North. You've got the Houston Texans going to be coaching the South. A lot of good names coming to the Senior Bowl. And you know what? I'm just going to kick it off to you. I'm going to let you start it off. Who's the first prospect you want to look at? Who do we have to watch this upcoming Saturday? Well, the first one that I want to talk about is Rashad Penny. Okay. And, and this is a guy who has not gotten as much love um, as he probably should have. Again, playing for San Diego State. It's, I guess, un- understandable that he hasn't gotten as much mm-hmm. because you have your guys like uh, Saquon Barkley, you know, right out there in the limelight for good reason. Uh, but one of the reasons why I bring up Rashad Penny is because since Bryce Love is is not coming out and he is staying at sta- to continue to play at Stanford, good for him, he's not going to be out there. So he's not going to be one of those guys that people will look in and add him into the fold. So I think that it falls to Rashad Penny to be mm-hmm. one of those guys that people look at as, okay, what can we get in this guy? And a lot of notes on Penny is that he's very well-rounded. He's able to play as a runner, a receiver, a returner. One of the things that he may need to get better at is being a 
pass blocker um, for his quarterback and picking up picking up blitzes a little bit better. But that's something that uh, sometimes a lot of guys, especially rookies coming out, have to learn and get a little bit better at. But incredibly productive. He was outstanding. His numbers were great at San Diego State. He did a very, very good job. He's got good speed in the open field, which has really helped him to rack up some really big gains because he's able to juke defenders right out of their shoes. He's a tough runner, and I think it's it's that that other piece of being able to split out wide. He's a guy who, similarly to Saquon Barkley, is able to be a receiver. Mm -hmm. And similarly to Saquon Barkley, a returner. So he's similar to Barkley in terms of what he can do, but I think Barkley still is in a category by himself, which is understandable. But then when you you look at, at, at this guy, and I know that here on this podcast, we really don't look at the fit for the team, but I want to in the sense of... You know what? I'll I, allow it for this week because Mark and I are not going to be looking at the Senior Bowl. Okay. I was, I'll, I'll allow it, B. I'll, I'll allow it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I was going to say, I want to in the sense of it being so timely. Mm-hmm. As Pat Shermer now taking over for the New York Football Giants, we know that's happening. And a lot of people think that Shermer's going to bring more of a zone run scheme to the Giants. Mm-hmm. That the Giants have not had... They haven't been able to run the ball in years. Yeah. And a lot of people believe that Rashad Penny would be the perfect fit for real, any scheme, but it being a, a zone type of scheme, they feel like he would be perfect in that type of scheme. And then a lot of people have also compared him to a David Johnson or, or an Alvin Kamara. So it, I, when I look at both of those players, I think, wow, okay, it's it's tough to be a David Johnson or an Alvin Kamara, but I, I, I think that uh, Rashad Penny is the type of guy with the skills that he brings and the attention that he has not gotten that I think a lot of people will be surprised how high he might actually go. Well, and the thing that I think will be most important is the Giants could be one team, but the first team that I thought of was the Cleveland, like, the first, I'll look at Penny. The thing that Penny could do is he's not going to, let's not be crazy, he's not going to break out into the first round. I don't see him as a first down, or first round running back right now as I'm watching some of his game film as we're doing this. The thing that I think that he could do, though, in this game is show the scouts enough to where maybe they think about using a second rounder or even a third rounder on this kid if he's there. This is a kid that's the leading rusher, I'm if I'm not mistaken, in college football. You're right. And let's be honest. I mean, we had the same thing last year with um, the running back from San Diego State. This system is fit for the running back for the Aztecs. But a team that I look at that how he play not necessarily just in this game but how he plays could make a team think about what they're doing the Cleveland Browns because the Cleveland Browns are in a unique situation where many I am included I think Mark too had in our last mock draft the Cleveland Browns going with Saquon Barkley at 4 however there's another candidate that they could go with it for his name is Minka Fitzpatrick Weigh the options. You want a running back or you want a cornerback? However, 
if he play if Penny plays well in the senior bowl and then continues to wow scouts a little more, Cleveland's got the 32nd, the 35th from Houston. They have the 63rd at the end of the second from Philly. They have the 65th, their own pick at the top of the third. They have numerous picks in the second and even the third to where, well, I'll include that only one in the third, mainly the second round, to where if they want to take a flyer on him, they could maybe see potential in him and not feel like they have to take Saquon Barkley early. So that's the kind of things that he could also affect teams to where, well, should we take a guy this early at four? Or should we go with another need and then we could take him at 32? That's what he can do with a solid performance. And more importantly, how he works with some of the other some of the other coaching staffs. Because assumingly you're gonna figure out how he's gonna be able to work with whichever team he's on, the Texans or the Broncos. Yeah, I think that that's that that is again why guys and he'd like be with the Texans. The guys like this, it's it's just to your advantage if you're able to have a good day because, like you said, Ricky, a lot of people most likely not thinking that he's going to be a, a first-round talent, mm-hmm. but could he fit really, really well in the second round and, and, and be a pretty solid second-round pick for a team? I, I think that he really could be, and and this is this is kind of where it starts at this Senior Bowl, having a good mm-hmm. showing, working well with the coaching staff, and, and, and kind of getting a really good reputation as you go, as you really start on this journey towards the draft and everything that goes along with it, because it doesn't just stop with the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. It starts there, and then and you have the, the combine, combine, and you have everything. You have those workouts. You have Pro everything days. that you're able to to be in and show. But I think it really, really helps that you're not just a running back. You're mm-hmm. that running back. You're that receiving threat out of the backfield. Teams are so much these days looking for that type, that style of running back, a guy who can just slide right out of the backfield. I mean, look, look at what we saw so many times. I know they did not win the game, but that Jacksonville team against the Patriots, so many times that running back would just, mm-hmm. whether it was Yeldon or whether it was uh, Jakeem, was it Jakeem Grant? No, I don't remember. No, the Grant. Grant. I may have just made that name up. Mm-hmm. but um, He was the backup to Trey Mason at Auburn two years ago. But he would sli- he would slide right out of the backfield and boom they were just hitting mm-hmm. him on so many and how effective that was so it just goes to show that teams love being able to do that that's a huge thing for them and I am looking up Corey Grant Corey Grant Jake- I know I've heard the, the name Jakeem Grant but last week as well Anthony mm-hmm. Lynn I I there was an Anthony Lynn he just not the right one I was talking about the guy the next prospect we'll look at is I'm going to do two things for this my first prospect I'm going to give a group. Because it's interesting, but then I'm going to single out one in the group. The group is the quarterbacks for the North. Because all for the North, you're going to have Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, and Luke Falk on this team. Mason Rudolph, I'm assuming, will be with the South. So you have all these three quarterbacks going to be, obviously they're all going to play in this game. And to me, that's a little side note. Denver Broncos are huge winners being coaches of the North because their staff gets to work with Allen Mayfield and Luke Falk, even though really it's Baker and Josh Allen is who they're going to be looking at. But Luke Falk's the guy that I want to focus in on because he's a guy talked really high about him early in the season. We did a video about him early in the season. We had fans of the Cougs coming in here telling us to watch out for Luke Falk. His accuracy is going to wow you. He's going to do great things. Well, he slipped a little bit this season, slipped quite a bit. 
this season. And this is the game for me to where, of course, you're not going to put all your stock into one game, but this could be a nice showing for Luke Falk to kind of get everything back on track. Okay, the season's over. That whole mess is behind me. This is what I'm about. This is how I work with coaches. This is what you're going to see on the field. To me, out of all the quarterbacks we see, Mason Rudolph, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Luke Falk is the most important that he has to play well and he has to complete passes. Get that completion percentage to 60 and above. That's what I want to see from Luke Falk in this game. Well, I, I think that one thing we do have to remember is Luke Falk did have an, uh, an, a wrist injury in mm-hmm. his senior season, so this this past year that kind of held him back a little bit. So I think if he's able to have a good showing this weekend and show that that wrist is healthy, he's good to go, that things can... are good, like you said, getting back on track, I think that's going to be the best thing. I mean, his stats from college are overwhelming. Over 14,000 14, passing yards, 119 touchdowns, just 38 interceptions over his four years, mm-hmm. as almost four years as a starter. It was, it, it was a good ride for Luke Falk. And actually, an, an article just out a couple of weeks ago that the New, New England Patriots were looking at Luke Falk, and with New England being, I think, so low that he mm-hmm. could possibly fall to them, and that could be another one. I know I've, I've said a lot about about well, Lamar Jackson being a possibility for them. Luke Falk could also very well be a possibility for the New England Patriots as well. So again, just having a good day, like you said, coming mm-hmm. out, showing that you're an easy player to work with, that you're a coachable player, that mm-hmm. you are willing to learn, take in as much as you possibly can. Those are all huge things. And this is a great, like I said when we when we mentioned uh, Rashad Penny, it's the, it's the fact that if you can show that you're you're easily coachable, that you're a, a, a strong player, willing to listen, you start to get that reputation. And and the Houston Texans and the Denver Broncos staffs will come back and they'll be raving. That's what you want. That's, you, that's what you want. You want them to be able to be raving, whether it's them that are going to want to go get you mm-hmm. or them knowing... Someone's going to get them. They are going to love that. That's going to be a great. That's going to be a great pick for them. And that that chatter starting to go throughout the mm-hmm. NFL. You want teams to already be in love with you before before they even really know you. And that's a huge thing. Now I'm going to throw this out there because right now I'm looking at the ESPN um, kind of breakdown for Luke Falk. And at the very end, it says he projects as an early day two pick. Well, if you play well in the Senior Bowl, you do well at the Combine, you do well at pro days. You could. Early day two could turn into late day one. And by late day one, I mean last four picks. I'll throw out one more team for Luke Falk, and this might not be so crazy with the quarterback situation that they have. Although I don't know how I would like it. If a team like Minnesota falls in love with them, I could see Minnesota taking them. Because Teddy's contract is up. Case Keenum, contract is up. Sam Bradford, contract is up. You take a guy like Luke Falk at 30 overall, then you can, hey... We're going to franchise tag Case Keenum. Case will be our starter this year. We'll bring Teddy back maybe on a cheap contract, but we'll have Luke Falk there so that we have someone in case Teddy can't come back fully. Give me your next guy to watch. Who's your next guy to watch this Saturday at the Senior Bowl? I want to just make a quick note in terms of your quarterback grouping. Is Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Bradford's gone. Baker Mayfield... um, 
in terms of, I, I know we've talked about him a lot. Mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield is a guy who has worked almost, almost primarily out of a shotgun. Mm-hmm. How can he be under, under center? center? I think that that's one of one of the things that I would watch for. How will he be taking a snap right from the center to his hands like that? Because we know how he is taking a shotgun snap. Mm-hmm. It's easy for him. But it's like easy butter. for most college quarterbacks mm-hmm. who do that. How is he going to be? And I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to make a big deal of this, but yeah. how comfortable can he be and how mm-hmm. quickly can he get comfortable taking snaps under center? Last thing I do want to say about Luke Falk, you reminded me of this is most important thing I want to see from him on Saturday is yeah, your accuracy is one of your best attributes, but now that your wide receivers are going to be running NFL route trees, can you move that ball down the field? Can you drive the ball down the field on Saturday? That's what I want to see. Who's your next guy? James Washington. James I had Washington. A feeling you were going to bring up Washington from Just had a feeling. from Oklahoma State, and and this guy again, six one, two hundred and five pounds. That's what they have him on ESPN. He had a really good college career. Uh, with Oklahoma State, and you're a wide receiver or a quarterback, you're most likely going to have an amazing college career because that's all you do is throw and catch. Um, but over a thousand yards in three of his four seasons, thirteen touchdowns, ten touchdowns, ten touchdowns. He did a really good job. But I want to see can he go that 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 extra that extra step, that next step into a NFL wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's one of those things where. You can do a lot of things in college well at a lot of different positions, but how do you make that next step? Are you are you able to make that transition to be a solid NFL player, to be a NFL difference maker at your position? And I think he's a guy who can do it. He can go up and get the football. He's he's a guy who's who I think is is pretty strong, plays pretty strong when he goes up to 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 get the football, and and, and a guy who is. I, I think a, a pretty good wide receiver in, in my mind. One of the one of the top wide receivers coming into into this into this draft, where some people would also have uh, Calvin Ridley, mm-hmm. and then they would also have Cortland Sutton. Uh, Cor- Cortland Sutton and Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is who I was thinking of. But I think I think James Washington. I, I and I look back to my big board, and I think mm-hmm. back to my big board. I think he was he may have been my number one. Number two, he was either he was my one or my two. I, I can't remember exactly which one, but I, I'm high on him. I think he's he can do well, and I think he was really catching passes from a good quarterback in Mason Rudolph, who I again in your quarterback cluster, a guy who I think can go and be good in the NFL. So James Washington, one of my wide receivers to watch um, at the Senior Bowl. Big Board 1.0, you had him as the tenth prospect. On the big board, tenth prospect, but what? Yeah. What wide receiver? Uh, I think he I believe was, number one. He was my number one. He wide was receiver. your number yeah. one because you had Calvin Ridley at twelve, and then you had Cortland Sutton at fifteen. So that's what you were. As I had Calvin Ridley a little higher than I had Calvin Ridley at eleven. Then I had Cortland Sutton down below him. But yeah, with Washington, the thing that I want to see with him is my biggest question with Washington is the durability. I know that like you look at the production, 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns this past season. You know he's got the big playability. He's a competitive guy. I want to see the durability from him. And, of course, you can't get that with just one game. However, 
show me some durability in this game. Don't tweak anything in this game. But that's really my biggest question when it comes to James Washington because, I mean, he's fast and athletic, but will he be fast and athletic enough to challenge teams vertically at the next level? Because according to ESPN, and I know that people disagree with us all the time when it comes to this, but he is 5'10". ESPN has him as 5'10 and 7'8", so almost 5'11", officially. For who? For James Washington. No, they have him at 6'1". ESPN has him at 6'1". I am looking, then they have it wrong, because I am looking right here at their draft side of it, not the... Mm. Not the ESPN one. They have him at five ten and seven eights. No, they Maybe had him that's at, without shoes. Yeah, they, well, they had him at six one on the other one. So someone's screwing up something. Someone's screwing. Uh, this is the second time they've done this because I'm looking at one thing, you're looking at another. We and that's why get the and right that's, information. And that's why people aren't watching ESPN. We, we want to get the right information out there. And that's why people are watching us, not them. Yeah. But um, oh, another thing I wanted to say with Washington is that people are saying that at worst mm-hmm. he's going to be a high end number two receiver at the next yeah. level with a limitless ceiling. So that's. That's again something that encourages you and encourages other teams. You're not drafting that, for your number one, exactly. But but at at worst, mm-hmm. at worst, he's your solid number two wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And where some people have put him at this point is maybe the number two over in Dallas mm-hmm. to take a little bit of heat off of Des Bryant, where we saw this past year he there was a is, little crybaby when he doesn't get the ball. But there was really no. I, it was it was such a it was such a bad year for Dallas mm-hmm. and well they had a tougher schedule they well uh, but it was a bad year Mine in general not. tough or easy schedule Des Bryant was a terrible wide receiver in terms of mm-hmm. how he actually should be but they also don't have anybody else that any other wide receiver that is that screams hey I'm a solid number two I'm gonna help you. That's they didn't have that, and they don't have that. And having James Washington possibly end up over in Dallas, I think, could help take coverages away from Des Bryant, put them on to James Washington, and open up Des Bryant a little bit more. So Dallas could be a very, very ideal landing spot for James Washington. So moving on into my next guy is I want to look at, and this is a guy that I've, for the last two mock drafts, I've wanted to put him at the end of my first round. But I'm just not quite sold on him yet. And this is a guy coming from FCS, the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State, and that's Dallas Goddard. This is a guy 6'4", 255, 260, runs about a 46840. And right now ESPN has him as the top tight end in the 2018 NFL draft. I want to see... What got like this to me is the game where, yeah, I've watched a little bit of film on Goddard, but this is the game where I get to see you go up against the big F, the FBS talent. Like, you're an FCS guy, depending on whether your team went ahead and scheduled an FCS opponent. Otherwise, I don't get to see you play those big FBS opponents. So, this is the game, really, the thing I'm looking at for them because, like, I'm looking, uh, that's a 2018 schedule. This past year, the only FBS opponents they played, they didn't play one. They played, their toughest opponent, I would say, is North Dakota State. Maybe Illinois State were the two toughest guys they played. So this is the game that I get to see Goddard go up against the big FBS seniors that have played 
at the big, maybe power five level, a little bit low, that power five. But he's a guy I'm looking at because I've almost wanted to put him in my top 32 picks for the first round for now two mock drafts. Goddard. Yeah, Goddard. The Dallas Goddard, the tight end from South South Dakota Dakota State. State. Yeah, well, you know, when you come in, because so many people have talked about Andrews Mm -hmm. from Oklahoma. And when it comes to tight end, for the most part, Mm -hmm. that's the only tight end name that I've really heard. But with Goddard, with his, I mean, with his size, with his frame at 6'5", I mean, that's a that's a guy you want to be throwing to. That is called a security blanket, big time. So I think that when you're able to 6'5", 255, I mean, that's a dude. That's a big dude. Mm-hmm. And that that could that could go and rival Andrew's frame and his talent and everything like that. So I, I think it's one of those things where that's a guy who, if he's able to come out and have a good game and really show up and they start saying his name. That's again these things. That's how you get on 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 the board. That's how you move up the board. That's how your name starts to get out there. You make a play, uh, you make a big play, things like that, or you just do your job. Mm-hmm. You know whether it's going up, making a big play in the end zone for a touchdown, or whether it's making a big block, whether it's pulling the right way, doing everything like that. Where coaches are noticing you and noticing that you do your job and do your job well, that's that's just going to be even better for him, especially especially since he's an FCS guy. You know who I think about, and I know this is I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to. And Mark Andrews could also be in this because he's about six five two fifty four as well. So you've got Goddard, who's about six four, just on the cusp of six five two fifty five. Mark Andrews has about an inch on him. Both of these guys, right around the height and weight, they're about 10 pounds lighter and an inch shorter than Rob Gronkowski. And I know what some people are saying, Ricky, you can't compare an FCS guy. You can't compare a guy like Mark Andrews to the greatest tight end in football right now. The most dominant pass catcher in tight end besides maybe Kyle Rudolph, but Gronk is above Kyle Rudolph. Or Travis Kelsey. Or Travis Kelsey. Come on. But really, when it comes to tight ends, Gronk is at the top. Like, Gronk is there. The only thing is he keeps getting injured. That is the—both of these guys, depending on how they play in the combine, especially Goddard being in the Senior Bowl this week, show me you have the—you have the body. You have the frame. Show me you got the skills to be a potential— Gronkowski to be a potential safety blanket for my quarterback at the next level. This is where I'm going to ask you, do you have any other guys that you think we need to talk about for the senior ball? Well, I think the biggest one, honestly, out of everyone we've talked about, it's got to be J.K. Scott, the punter okay. from Alabama. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's got you know, to be. You know, I, I, think well, the Cle- I think the Cleveland Browns punter is so worn out <laughs> from so many punts throughout the year, I think that they're looking for a good punter. Well, may, made, may he may go number four. I made the joke to you. Really, the guy to look for is uh, Johnny Townsend, the punter from Florida. Yeah. And Mel Kuyper has said he's the best punter in the class. The best punter in the class. We're going to get to see him at the Senior Bowl. But seriously, the last guy I want to mention, only because um, I was talking to you in between because we had to do a jump cut of, I want to mention at least one defensive guy so that we're not completely offensive and the guy I want to bring up is Tyquan Lewis, the senior defensive lineman from the Ohio State University. This is a guy, the thing I want to see from him is 
we've got to see you this season with a ton of first-round talent around you. He's got Sam Hubbard there. He's got Jalen Holmes there with him. He's plus the potential 2019 first-rounder in Nick Bosa, the little brother to Joey Bosa, who was a top pick in the NFL as well. What are you going to do without your homeboys there? That's basically what I'm looking at. What, what, what your guys, your teammates, Hubbard, Bosa, Holmes, what are you doing when they're not out there with you, when you are with completely other people, with NFL coaches? That's what I want to look at from Taekwon Lewis is can you do the same things when you don't have the familiarity with those teammates around you? Oh, I, I think you can. I think you can, and I think that, you know, I and I, I, I can't, say with a hundred percent certainty but when you get out there on the field and there's some guys from either the same conference or other conferences guys that you've seen before you know them a little bit Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's not like not necessarily say that you guys are hanging out all the time and stuff like that but you know how it is when it's in the nfl or across i mean these guys know each other because they've been there a while and i think sometimes the same could be said for 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 college here, especially coming here in the Senior Bowl, and you're playing with some other guys and stuff like that, you know of these guys. You've probably you know had a you know some sort of relationship with, with at least one of them at some point in time. Mm-hmm. So I, I I don't think it's as as big of a deal as 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 uh, you may you may think or 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 things like that or or what some people might even believe. I, I think that it's just fine. You go out there, you play your game. You go out there, you play your game. It's it's no different than with you doing it when you're when your teammates, when your guys are around. You just go out there and you would do what you do. Well, this is where I want to turn on to you guys. We talked about some prospects we're looking at this Saturday. You guys tell us what prospects are you looking for this Saturday at the Senior Bowl. You want to see them on NFL Network doing their thing. Let us know who we should be watching down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's move on into our next topic. And this is a special one, just like we did. What was it? Was it last week? Just last week. I think it was last week. We had Patrick in, one of our patrons, and we are welcoming in yet again another patron here to Most Valuable Podcast, Matt, calling all the way from, I think it's Rockford. Rockford, It is Rockford. From Illinois. (laughs) Matt, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing great, guys. How about you? Oh, I am do I can't wait. This is probably like I told Brandon, I'm excited for this topic because somebody finally wants to talk Big Ten. Amen. Like I mean, I, I try to slide it in every then and Brandon's like, come on, Ricky, the Big Ten's not that good. It's just it's you it's you and Matt. It's <laughs> yeah. you and Matt. It's it's literally two people that mm-hmm. want to talk Big Ten. <laughs> no. I think we've found the only two in the Midwest. And that's exactly and what we're gonna look at today is basically the overarching topic is that we're looking at when it comes to March Madness. How many teams from the Big Ten are going to make March Madness when we get all the way to March? However, I want to start off kind of looking at kind of an overview of the Big Ten because this is the first time in my life to where when I look at Joe Lenardi's bracketology, he has four teams right now in the field for March Madness. He's got Michigan. He's got um, Purdue is one of them, Michigan State, and then the last one that I'm looking for that is blank Ohio in my State. mind is Ohio State. Um, so he's got a three seed, Michigan's at an eight seed, Michigan State's a two seed, Purdue is a one seed. So, Matt, I want to go to you first because this is your topic that you're bringing into us. What's your kind of thought of 
the Big Ten as a whole this year and them only having, I know Joe Lenardi's not the the committee, but them only having four teams when it comes to the bracketology bracket at this point in the year. Yeah, so right now I, I, I tend to agree that seems pretty appropriate. The only, and we can get into this, but the only team that I might also throw in there right now is Maryland. Um, but they're, I mean, they're a bubble team for sure. Uh, I think, you know, the the Big Ten as a whole it is down, and I think that that's fair. And that was um, illustrated in, right in the beginning with the Big Ten ACC challenge. The, the ACC dominated that. Um, I think eleven to three was the the final total there. So you know, some of that's matchups, but I do think it, it kind of told the story. And I think what you're running into now is. The Big Ten has a couple of good teams at the top, you know, and I don't want to discredit any of them because just because the rest of the league is is maybe down, but um, it, the middle to the bottom of the league, I think it's just it's it's a bunch of I don't want to call it crap, but you know, it's it's I'll call it's, it crap. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> it's it, crap. It's, it's it's teams beating up on one another, and then no one can establish a good resume because of that, right? So you're going to struggle to to get more teams in for that reason alone. So, yeah, as a whole, they're down. Um, I think a lot of that is because of teams like Wisconsin, traditional powers, you know, they're down. And then Northwestern and Minnesota, everyone had them, you know, top four. And you look at the standings, they're towards the bottom. So I think that's really hurt. Um, the overall look of the Big Ten. Well, I mean, and that's exactly it. And I just kind of looked up the ACC Big Ten Challenge really quickly. This was the first year that either of the conferences had double-digit wins by one side. The most that anyone had had before was we might have been able to see this a little last year when the ACC won nine compared to the Big Ten's five. This year, you hit it right on the head, Matthew. It was 11 to 3. Before that, it's like 6 to 8, 6 to 8. Ooh, 6 6 here. Um, the Big Ten, the only time they really dominated was 2011 when they won 8 compared to ACC's four games. And maybe it's just me, but I just, I feel like with the Big Ten this year, every other year, like couple years, there's always been this little spark, this little excitement when it comes to the Big Ten. When you get to. And like I said, maybe it's because we're from the Midwest, we get that spark. But like you said, Matt, the Minnesotas, the Northwesterns, the even like the Nebraskas. I know Nebraska's five and three right now, but these middle teams, it was always like, you know what? There's about five at the top, and then all these bubble teams. Whereas this year, it's like, okay, there's these four, maybe even three. And then all of these bubble teams, because like Minnesota, yeah, they're fourteen and eight overall, but you got three and six in the Big Ten. You've got Northwestern's three and five, Wisconsin this year at three and four. And I wonder this year is is it that is it because the Big Ten isn't beating up on each other? Because most of the non conference records for all the schools are fairly well. The only one that was the worst, I think, might have been um, either Iowa or Illinois, who is at the bottom of the um, Big Ten. But is it because, hey, you know what? 
we've got all these teams now beating up on each other, but not in the way we did before, where it was like, hey, a team like Maryland, who's four and four, could go into Purdue and beat Purdue. But now Purdue's eight no in the season. You've got Ohio State eight no in the season. The top teams aren't really losing in conference like they might have lost a year or two ago. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're you're seeing a lot of that. I mean, um, the teams aren't you know you think of any college road game um, in the other leagues and. You're questioning every one of them just because it is a road game. But then um, I had the, the joy to witness Purdue play at Iowa on Saturday. And mm-hmm. before you knew it, Purdue's up 11 a few minutes into the game, and they're up 31 at halftime, and it's it's over, right? So um, you're, you're seeing a lot more. Like I look at Purdue or Ohio State schedule, I struggle to find any games I could really even think of questioning as a loss, right, to the bottom-tier teams just because um, – I don't really think they have enough to challenge them. And I mean, the thing I'm looking at right now, and this will be before we go to you, Brandon, is last year, Purdue was at the top of the conference. They had four losses in conference. The next two teams below them were at 12 and six. Wisconsin was one of them. Then two years ago, this is 2016. Now Indiana was at the top with three losses. Michigan state at five But then you had Maryland, Purdue, Iowa, and Wisconsin all with six losses, and then Ohio State with seven. So the middle was even more jam-packed, whereas this year it's kind of dividing into two halves and not three being good, bad, and then the middle. Well, I, I think that, you know, you, you take a look and some of these teams that you already kind of talked about that you, that you hit on. Well, Northwestern at, at three and five in the conference, 12 and nine, they, they really have come back down to earth after what they did last season, which is kind of a shame because they did play so well last year. And I think we were shocked. I mean, you mm-hmm. and I, we were looking at each other. We're like, when is this going to end? You know, there's going to be a time when yeah. it, it, it just hits and they're going to. They're going to finally slip back down, and they really, they really didn't do that. They, they got to the tournament. They played well. They, they made a run that was, you, you could look at that and you go, wow, Northwestern played really well for themselves this mm-hmm. year, and they, up until the end, played one hell uh, of a basketball game. And then Wisconsin, Wisconsin, I, it just, it just surprises me. And I know that you can say that they lost, you know, players from last year, and they lost, you know, a big senior group and everything. But you know, as, as you, as you always say, next man up, next man up, and. And Wisconsin's really struggling to get those get those guys and get a rhythm going where they can actually see results. They're just, it's just they're just not there. Um, Minnesota surprisingly low this season, and then Rutgers through Illinois, no one is surprised with. Uh, but you even go to Indiana, Indiana, no more no more Tom Crean. And Matt, I know that's your one of your favorite coaches in college, um, but ever since he's left, uh, there's they've just been kind of. Eh, they've mm-hmm. been kind of eh. I mean, even even with him there, they were good in the regular season. Man, I know that you could probably back this up too with you being a Purdue alum. But they were good in the regular season, and they would get to the NCAA tournament, and we know where they were. They we knew where they were going to go. They were going to go to the Sweet Sixteen and lose. Um, and I think that that's why they ended up getting getting rid of 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 Crean and and them parting ways. But ever since that, you know, you think that. Okay, you get rid of this coach, you're going to expect results further the next year, and that just that has not happened. And now with them at eleven and eight, four and three in the conference, kind of 
they're kind of in the middle, but on the higher end of the middle, that's still not where they want to be. And I, I guess you just you look at those teams, teams that you would expect to be in a higher spot, and they're just not there. They're just not there like they like they have been in the past. And you 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 question. I guess for me, I would question. You know, with at Indiana, you know what what's going on there? Why 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 do you make that coaching move? And I know we we talked about it back then when it happened, but you know you would expect better results than what you were getting when they were there. That just like I said, that has not happened yet. But the teams at the top are really good. Purdue is really good. They've played some games, and I and I watched the game. Matt, I, I know you know I was watching this one because um, I had texted you at, at, at one point, um, and you were, I think, in a, in a huge panic when they were playing on the road at Michigan, and they only end up winning uh, by, by one point, and that was a... That was a huge game that they end up winning on the road there. They were certainly tested, and they, they came out of it with, with the W, and now they've got Michigan coming up. And then on the road at Indiana, you know, for you as a Purdue fan, do either of those two games worry you at all with, with Michigan playing you know, pretty good basketball and Indiana just, just being that rival, obviously? You know, actually they do. Um, I think this this of any of the stretches for Purdue is going to be pretty key, um, both in their Big Ten title defense and then also um, trying to get a one seed going into the tournament. So, yeah, they've got Michigan at home. So you're you're thinking, okay, they, they won on the road. They sure better handle, it, handle them at home. But I think traditionally Michigan's been a tough matchup for Purdue. Um, you've got Mo Wagner, the, the five for them, who can step out and shoot threes, and Isaac Haas, he struggles to defend that. He can't. He can't get out there. So, what Painter tried to do to neutralize that last game was he switched everything, and <laughs> it turned into complete chaos the other way because then you'd just get these weird matchups and breakdowns, and it would end up to wide open threes for Michigan. So, you know, uh, hopefully he he learns from that. Um, but even even if he doesn't, I I just think Michigan, you know, Michigan beat Purdue twice last year. Um, and I, you know, different personnel, but um, they they showed just how tough they were, and they went to Michigan State and won on the road too, right? Yeah. So they're 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 not a uh, they're not going to back down. So I think that'll be tough for those reasons. And then Indiana, <laughs> that that's their Super Bowl this year, right? They they would love nothing more than to take Purdue down. Um, so just you know, the atmosphere is insane. Um, but that said, um, I, I think Purdue should be favored and will add the talent to go in and win. But, again, you just never know with those types of games. Well, and the thing that I'm thinking of, and this kind of goes into the, I'm going to say the Purdue-Michigan matchup that we're going to see later this week, is if you look at, we did the same thing when we looked at the Big 12 last week when we looked at Kansas. If you look at how the conference tourney would shape up, if it end or if it started, however, today, how you would have it is you would have Purdue obviously getting a bye, you would have Michigan getting a bye, you would have Ohio State and Michigan State, the top four teams, all get basically a two day bye. You got four four teams playing the first one, then game two, they get a two game bye. I would not be surprised this year, like I'm looking at last year's Michigan played Illinois an 8-9 game. Then they went 
into the next game and Matt cover your ears, they beat Purdue and then went on and beat um, Minnesota. Then they go on and beat Wisconsin. They won the tournament champion. I don't see this year for the Big Ten being that year or an eight seed where a 10 seed in Indiana or a you look at Northwestern. They were the six. They took down the three seed in Maryland last year before they lost to Wisconsin. I would not be surprised if we get to this Big Ten tournament in end of February, early March, and we see all of those teams, the four teams that get the two-day buys. At this point, it would be Purdue wins, all right, Michigan wins, they play each other. Yeah, Michigan wins, they play each other. Then Ohio State wins, they play Michigan State, who also wins. And then it's just the championship is who out of the top four seeds wants to beat each other. And that, to me, is the biggest problem this year overall with the Big Ten is that I can't see any team below four making a run of winning more than two. Probably the only team that I would say has the best chance to win two games is the bottom four teams. I could see like a 13-14 matchup. Winner of that game goes on, beats the fifth seed. But besides that, no one below the top four, I would say, I wouldn't put my money on them beating any of the top four right now in the Big Ten. Well, and Matt, before you jump in, my my question is, and it's kind of the same type of question that I asked last week when we were talking about Kansas, is are we are we too quickly? Are we too quickly counting out all of these other teams? Because when it gets to that time, when it gets to championship time, when it gets to tournament time. There's just something that happens with one or two teams that they jump up, and I'm not even necessarily saying for the Big Ten, but maybe it could be for the Big Ten when it happens. But in some tournament, at, at some point, one of those teams that you're not expecting anything from that really have just been eh all season long, they jump up and they will sneak up on a on a top team, take them down, and end up having some success. And we all go... Wow, we had them counted out from the beginning, and that's that, that just seems to be something that happens almost every single year in college basketball. Yeah, you know, I think the team I would say that might be is Nebraska. Um, I don't think, you know, that we're talking it, the season ends right now. They're not in the NCAA tournament. In fact, I don't know how far up the bubble they are. But um, I guess of the, the teams that, you know, me having watched Purdue play, um, Nebraska hung tough with Purdue at Purdue, um, and they've got some talent there. And then last week, I think it was, they went, went and pretty much handled Michigan no problem. Um, it was a home game, but I guess I'm just thinking that they might be trending in the right direction. And, you know, they had the the one-point heartbreaking loss to Kansas, too. If they win that game, yeah. who, who knows? So um, if I were to say one team, you know, out of this, this mush, that could emerge. I would say it's probably them, but that said, they've they've got some work to do. But they've got at Ohio State tonight, so now would, tonight would be a great opportunity to kind of wrap everything up and to put a nice bow on it. To get to the okay, how many teams are going to make March Madness? A little bit of history lesson for you guys. Um, I just went through all the way back to 2013. How many Big Ten teams have made the tournament? Last year we had seven. 2016 we had seven. 2015, we had seven. 2014, we had six. 2013, we had seven. 
So all the way back to 2013, your best bet would be to say seven teams from the Big Ten make the tournament. Now, if we're using, and I'm using Joe Lenardi as the barometer, this year the Big East is in, the Big East Big 12 is in that range. The Big East has six, or has seven, the Big 12 has six. Right now, like we said, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, and Purdue are the only teams in the tournament right now. Maryland, however, is the very first team that Joe Lenardi has out, so they could be a fifth that gets in. Matt, I'll go to you first. When we get to March Madness, after the conference tournaments, we get to Selection Sunday. How many Big Ten teams do you think will be in the tournament playing in March? Um, I think I'm going to have to go with five. So we've talked enough about the top four. I think they're all going to, you know, barring a huge letdown, I think they all make it pretty easily. And then the fifth, I think there's really only two candidates I'm going to say are, are vying for that fifth one, and that's Maryland and or Nebraska. Maryland, um, looking at their resume with the new RPI system, they only have one tier one win. So, you know, that doesn't scream tournament team, but they have um, a, a majority or a, a, a myriad of opportunities coming their way. Um, Michigan at home on Sunday. Um, they're at Purdue next week, at Nebraska in a few weeks, and then um, they get Michigan at home too. So they've, they've got plenty of chances there. So I think that alone gives them the opportunity, and I think their record right now is, is okay. And then Nebraska, again, they probably have more work to do, um, and that's probably why I don't think they'll make it. But I think I think I think six is your absolute maximum, and five is probably the realistic number. What do you think, B? I'm going to go with four. I'm going to go with four. I'm going to say it's going to be. I'm going to say it's going to be the top four teams, and I'm just going to say that between Nebraska and Maryland, they're just not going to be able to do enough uh, when it comes down to it at the end to. To get to get themselves into the tournament, and those four teams at the top, they would have to do a whole lot to uh, knock themselves out. So I, I think that it's a pretty pretty set in stone right now for the Big Ten on, on a on a down year, still getting four teams. If those four teams go deep, it, it won't matter at the end of the day. I'm gonna agree with you, Brandon. I'm gonna say four with a potential of five, and the reason why I'm saying a potential of five is I'm looking at that Maryland team right now, and Two things are going to end up happening. So I'm looking into my crystal ball right now. The first one is that they got to play themselves into a better position because right now, if the conference tournament started tonight, they would be seven playing number 10 Northwestern. That's not going to be a quality win in my mind. Then they go on, they play Ohio State. I don't see them winning that game, especially without Justin Jackson, who they have lost for the remainder of the season. They lost him a little bit earlier in the season. However, the second point is how do the teams ahead of them right now play? Missouri is right now ahead of them. They're in the last four buys category. If they get a Michael Porter Jr. back, they're not falling out of the tournament in my mind. How does a USC play? How does a Providence play? How does a Notre Dame team play? All of these teams right now above Maryland the reason why we call them bubble teams is because they're on the bubble. And when you get no, closer Ricky, towards, come on. I know, I Captain know Obvious here. And when you get further towards the season, that's where we pull that pin out. And it's like, okay, we're going to pop and, that and, bubble. And that's why I, I really think that 
there's too many better bubble teams mm-hmm. than Nebraska or or Maryland. I, I just I I just think there are. I'll give you one on the same category of Maryland that I could see getting in above them just because of the conference they play in. Kansas State. Oh, Kansas State has been playing some of their best basketball right now, mm-hmm. and I mean they're 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 looking to move themselves up the up the charts, and they're they're a team that's I think catching a lot of attention of a lot of people. So again, like I said, when you come to talking bubble teams, mm-hmm. which is I think where we're going to see Maryland and Nebraska being around, there's going to be a better quality bubble team this year than those other two. And I mean, right now. You look at K-State. When we last talked about them, it was before the Kansas game or right after they lose that one by one. They beat the mighty Trey Young and the Oklahoma Sooners. They beat TCU, get two quality wins. They'll play KU later this month. But before we wrap everything up, Matthew, any final thoughts on what we talked about today? Just kind of maybe pulling it all together. I think what you guys are talking about there at the end perfectly sums up the Big Ten, right? Because... Um, a team like Kansas State has pretty much every night they have a chance for a quality win in the eyes of the committee, being in the Big 12. Um, but a team like Maryland, not only do they have to win um, the big games, but then they can't lose the other ones, right, because that hurts your resume mm-hmm. just because of the the standing of those teams. So, I, that, you know, I think that kind of sums it all up perfectly. Well, and now we're going to turn it on to you guys. What do you guys think about the Big Ten right now? And then how many teams do you have making the tournament for the Big Ten? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. If you're sitting there thinking, God, how do I become like Matt? How do I get on the Primetime Podcast and MVP? You check out Patreon.com. That's exactly how you do it. Matt, I want to thank you for coming on and spending a little bit, about a half hour with us talking about the Big Ten, and we cannot wait to have you on again soon. But, Brandon, let's move into our final topic, and another thanks to Matthew for joining us on the podcast today. But we're kind of staying in the world of college basketball, and we got a big story to talk about. Usually, we don't really focus on the recruiting game. We usually talk about once they're here, but this is kind of a he's here in college basketball now, even though he's going to be playing next year. But Zion Williamson, one of the huge recruits, one of the huge guys that everyone's talking about for the 2019 NBA draft, assuming to be a one-and-donner, made his decision over the weekend. Everyone, I told you before the podcast, 247 Sports, their crystal ball of writers were like 85%. He's going to Clemson. It all planned out. Clemson just ended their game. He was going to make a decision. And then he decides to go to Duke. So basically, here's what I'm going to ask you, Brandon. Zion Williamson decides to go to Duke. What does this mean for Duke basketball and the rest of college basketball? Well, this means for Duke basketball that they're going to continue to be set for a couple of years to set come for life. Uh, yes, set for life. <laughs> We're gonna yes, talk about that. Yes, in a little that's bit. perfect segue into that one. But um, Duke is Duke is just they are they're set mm-hmm. they're set. They continue to just pump in great talent year after year after year after year. And this kind of goes back to to the conversation that we just got done with having with Matt is that you know Wisconsin, a team that last year. Was a was a, a quality twi- team, a strong mm-hmm. team. This year they sit at ten and ten, and 
they lose their senior class for the most part, and they're struggling to find that combination of next men up type of deal. Whereas Duke, I I don't remember when Duke ever seemed to have that problem. They always have a next man up, a next five men up. Mm-hmm. Every single year, the Duke Blue Devils are stacked. Even when they don't go far in the tournament, they are stacked. This is a very, very good team. This is a very, very good coach. And it's because of this coach and the prestige of that university that they continue to get guys like Zion Williamson and why they continue to get guys like R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I not say that they're the top one and then three guys where yeah. Zion Williamson's the number two? The Duke Blue Devils mm-hmm. literally got the top three recruits in the ESPN 100. I, th- that is unreal. That's absolutely unreal. But that is why the Duke Blue Devils, every single year, continue to be just fine. Because they recruit like none other. And they sell a very good product. And, and Duke, again, the prestige of Duke University and Duke Athletics. Probably the weakest Duke team that I can remember was what year? What tourney year was that? 2012 was the tourney year. Do you remember who they lost to? Um, uh, they lost to, was it a, like a 14 seed or? It was a 15 seed. 15 they were seed. two. Um, I'm trying you to. You want re- the mascot of the team they lost to? It was a Mountain Hawk. <laughs> That's sad. I knew that wasn't CJ McCollum played for this team, but he did not play in this game. Um. I don't know why I can't think of it, because I was just thrilled when it happened. Lehigh. Lehigh, yes. Yes. This was probably the worst starting five that I can remember for a Duke team. The Plumlee brothers, Seth Curry, Thornton, and then Austin Rivers. That's probably the worst starting five, and that's it wasn't a bad starting five. That's probably the worst. Where When they lost to Mercer two years later, you had Rodney Hood, you had Jabari Parker, you had what— Plumlee was on your bench. You had Quinn Cook in the um, bench as well. And then he had Emil Jefferson, too. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. Again, 2012, they didn't go far in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But they bounced right back in 2013 with another good squad. And then 2014, they, you know, what you, what you just mentioned, they get bounced in the tournament. They bounce back the next year I mean, with another won, good squad. They, in 2015, they bounced back where Grayson Allen is a freshman one help them win the national title. But that's exactly what I'm saying is mm-hmm. that Duke is always there's never a year when Duke it, well it doesn't seem like I yeah. mean please please remind me of a, of the year when it happened if mm-hmm. it happened. But in, in in my time of of really being an avid college basketball fan which has been many years now there's not a time when Duke has not been able to th- bounce back the next year and still get to the tournament wherever they end up landing in the tournament. They get there. They bounce back. They do well in the regular season. They get to the tournament. Next year, they bounce. They, it's not. It's. I don't. Need, I can stop saying bounce back. Mm-hmm. They come back the next year. They do well in the regular season. They get to the tournament. They come back the next year. They do really well in the regular season. They get to the tournament. There is no. Oh, Duke came back this next year and they really struggled in the regular season and they couldn't make the tournament. Mm-hmm. Words that I don't think have ever been spoken. Two things. First off, little history lesson. Last time Duke didn't make the tournament, I was five years old. Yeah. 1995. And I would have been, been what? 
two. You were two. You were two the last time Duke didn't make the tournament. The last time Duke lost in the first round and didn't make it out of the second weekend, the next tournament, was 07-08. So my junior year into my senior year, they lose to VCU in the first round in 07. Then the next year, they win by one over Belmont. I thought they were going to lose that game. And then they lose to West Virginia on the Saturday or Sunday that they played. So it's they always... Duke is always finds a way to stack the table in their favor, mm-hmm. or stack the deck in their favor. Always, always, they have these guys that always want to come to Duke. Yep. And again, whether they're staying until they're a senior or they're leaving after one year, they want to come to Duke. Mm-hmm. They just want to do it. I mean, why would you? But then again, why would you not want to come and play for the best coach in all of college basketball? Arguable, but. I I, well, I think that I think that winning coach in college basketball I will say and that's but that, and that's what I that's what I mean yeah that's what I mean I mean you you why you want to go to a winner you want to mm-hmm. go to a winner and again I keep saying it, I've said it this is probably the fourth time I've mm-hmm. said it best coach in all of college basketball in terms of wins in the prestige of Duke overall their mm-hmm. athletic program their academics everything. It's it's just it's got people say Duke and half the people love it and the other half want it to burn to the ground. Mm-hmm. I they it's just it's one of those spots. I'll be honest though, throughout my entire life, I have like it's weird because usually it's like oh you like you like Duke you hate UNC you hate UNC you like Duke I've always hated them both. I can't stand them both. UNC is more so because. I'm not going to talk about it, but they, they, they made me cry as a kid. However, I've always hated Duke. Always couldn't stand Duke as a kid. And then it just gets worse when you get older. However— Because Duke, in, in, our, in our minds, how we see it in our lifetime— They're the, the evil the, empire. The, well, the Duke Blue Devils are the New England Patriots. Yeah, the New York Yankees from the and 90s. They, and, they, and they are the mm-hmm. Alabama Crimson Tide, yep. and they are all these other things that people look at, and they go, they never lose. Mm-hmm. And after That's a while, exactly how it is. and after a while, people just like to see other people lose. Well, and here's another one thing I want to bring up, and this kind of segues us into what I wanted to bring up: were Williamson's comments to the Charlotte Observer after making the commitment. He said it was always more than basketball with Coach K. That basketball can't stop or can stop bouncing for you at any time. If basketball was to end for me tomorrow. I would know I'm in good hands at Duke University. And the thing that we look at with the pitch and the the Duke pitch is if you come to Duke, you are set for life. This has also been um, brought to life by um, Hamadou Diallo, who's currently with Kentucky. In 2016, he had said Kentucky's pitch is the NBA thing where Duke's pitch was just like, if you come to Duke, you're going to be set for life. It's more than just basketball. Where those two quotes right away kind of conflict with each other. Where Williamson saying, well, you know, yeah, it's more than just basketball. Coach K saying, oh, it could stop tomorrow, but you're going to be in good hands. Where Hamadou saying, yeah, it's more than just basketball, but basketball's what I focus on. And really, that's the thing I mentioned when if you want to win in college, go play at Duke. Because Coach K winning his coach for Duke. However, 
if my goal is I want to get to the NBA and I want to be a first-round draft pick, I'm going to Kentucky because Coach Cal has a reputation of not just getting players drafted in the first round, being there with you every step of the way. And Coach Cal actually had comments where he kind of threw some shade on Duke for their recruiting pitch. And I'm we'll go through this after I read it because it was a little confusing through the first read. The exact quote, long, lengthy quote from Coach Cal was, I don't sell when you come here. The university and the state will take care of you for the rest of your life. You may buy that, and I've got some great property in the swampland in Florida I can sell you as well. That's a joke, by the way. Every one of us in this country is based on you have to take care of yourself, prepare yourself, and then when you make it, you make sure you're helping, and along the way, you're bringing other people with you. That's what we're trying to do. Just give these guys the best opportunity. We're not trying to say that this university or state will take care of you for the rest of your life. There's no socialism here. This stuff is you have to go do it, and we're going to help you do it. Some like that, and some don't like that. Here's how I read into these comments. This is now the third time you and I are hearing these because I read it twice to you before the podcast. Because like I said, when you hear it the first time, you're kind of like, uh, not sure what he means. Here's what I think Coach Coach Cal is meaning. It goes to a very silver spoon mentality where he is seeing the Duke recruiting pitch of like, oh, come to Duke, you're set for life. The university and the state will take care of you as, oh, you're coming to Duke. Okay, walk through the door. Here's your silver spoon that has the Duke logo on it. Make sure you keep that the rest of your life. That's your ticket for the rest of your life. Here's your silver spoon. Whereas he's saying, no, you come to Kentucky, I'm going to be here to help you. But you're doing the work. It's It reminds me of those two parents where you have the parents where it's like, ah, I got this project to do. Don't worry. Dad will do it for me. Where the other parents where it's like, oh, I got this project to do. Okay, when are you fucking doing it? Kind of a thing. And that's what I see here where he's kind of throwing the shade on Duke saying it's a very silver spoon mentality of like, oh, don't worry. You don't have to do it. Like if you don't make it, we got you covered. You're set for life. You don't have to do it. Don't worry about it. That's what I think he's saying. Well, I love Coach Cal. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a great man, a great human being. And I do agree with his comments. But do you think that part of that just stems from him just being really sour that Duke not only got Zion Williamson, but Duke got the top Maybe three a bit. recruits? And because... Now Duke, not Kentucky, mm-hmm. has started to become the spot for one-and-done NBA players. Well, maybe a little bit. And the reason why is, I mean, I'm looking at the recruiting class for Kentucky right now where the guys that they have, all number ones in their state um, for Virginia, Maryland, and Wisconsin, you've got Johnson, who's the 12th overall recruit, You've got Quickly, who's the 13th overall recruit. And then you've got Hero, who is the 33rd overall recruit for Kentucky right now. You had Zion Williamson to that class, and Kentucky is right up there at the top. Now, 
the thing with Kentucky that I'm kind of like, it might be that a little bit, but not a ton, is I would be all over that boat if Kentucky was Clemson. Clemson has to be like, they have to be the worst feeling at this moment. The only way I can describe it, if you're a Clemson fan out there, I know we had a couple of you for football, don't know if you guys carry over for basketball, but the only thing I can relate the feeling to, if you're Clemson right now, is how I felt as a Fighting Illini fan when Cliff Alexander made his decision. The only thing that made it worse for him is that he went to pick up the Illinois hat, but then was like, oh, what am I doing with this? And then put on the Kansas hat. We all thought he was coming home. He was all staying here. The guy from Curie High School in Chicago going to come down our state, our team. That's what I can feel like from here. I know it's not the our state, our team thing, but pretty much everyone thought he was going to Clemson. So if anyone should be upset, it should be Clemson that he just spurred him and went to Duke. However, I could see a little bit of the Coach Cal comments just being like, fuck these guys. Why, why go to them? We're a lot better than them. I can see that a little bit. So I also want to. I also do want to bring up, and I want to kind of go back to the comments that you were making when you were talking about the the silver spoon, the the, the, the silver spoon, and the comments made by by Coach Cal and everything like that. So when you when when if, if Coach K is trying to sell Duke, mm-hmm. and he's saying that you know what, even if basketball did end for you. You could still stay here and you could still be set for life. How many institutions do you think try and and not even not even basketball aside, athletics aside, how many institutions do you think are trying to sell kids, kids in mm-hmm. high school? If you come here, we're gonna help you be set for life. We're gonna give you the tools to be successful in life and be set. How many schools do you think are doing that? They're all trying. You, I know what you do. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to do that? Are you Me personally? Are, are you, try, are you trying yes. to do that to bring students in to sell a university to say, "Hey, this place is going to have you set for life because you'll have a you'll graduate from here with a college degree and skills that will have you set for the rest of your life." I, I'm not. I'm not trying to to. Uh, you know, d- defend a, a thing mm-hmm. of of saying, "Hey, you know, you're set for life. You're a you're a Duke Blue Devil. It's all it's you know, it's okay." But I, I, I do I do in a sense want to say that you know that's that's not unusual. Mm-hmm. That is not unusual to say anywhere that you're going. You could say that you're going to bum f nowhere university, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, "We're you come here. We're going to have you set for life." Well, the thing that I always when I try to sell a student on the university I work for that's at the core of it. Like we're going to be there. Like part of me relates a little bit more to coach Cal in a way where we're going to be there for you. We're going to have the tools for you. We're going to have your back, but when it comes down to it, you got to put in the work. Like that's what it's going to be. And I, that's at the core of this, at the core of the statements that we're seeing now is the Duke atmosphere and the Kentucky atmosphere are totally different to where from the outside looking in, because neither you nor I are in the locker room from the outside looking in, seeing these coaches every single year, how they coach, how they're out there. 
it kind of is like you mentioned, like, oh, Duke is like the Yankees, the Patriots, the Alabama Crimson Tide, they never lose. A part of it, too, is kind of like a little bit of like when it comes to the world of college basketball, they're the aristocrats of college basketball. I go to Duke and Duke is the best. And there's a little bit of that. Not as much as it was maybe in the um, Christian Leitner days. But there's a little bit of that, too. Like you go back and watch the 30 for 30 about the Fab Five. That was the big difference. The Fab Five was the underdogs. The Duke was the basketball royalty when it came to college basketball, where I kind of see the same thing here. Duke basketball royalty, Kentucky is right there with them. It's not like they're down here, but in Coach Cal's mind, it's like we fought to get here. Like we clawed our way to get here. You're just there. And that's what I'm, right or wrong, that's what I'm reading into it, is a little bit of the, aristocrat versus the um, poor peasant who has to fight his way to get to the top, even though both of them are pretty much like you talk about Kentucky and Duke over the years. Both of them have been really good teams in the years leading up to this one as Kentucky is now out of the top 25 for the first time since 2014. Yeah, I think you could look at both of them actually as basketball royalties in the past couple mm-hmm. of years. I, I think you could because they they've both been to the big the big dance. Uh, they've they've been there a couple of times before. They know how it works. They know mm-hmm. how it goes, and they've won it. So I, I think that I think that all to to just make this easier, all Coach K would have had to have said is, "We're going to have you set for life, but it's going to take a little bit on your part to mm-hmm. to do it." And 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 is that implied? It well, it should be, because just because you go to to Duke, if you did nothing to help yourself, it would mean really nothing except that you're multiple thousands of dollars in debt um, of student loans. But unless you're there on a completely full ride as a, uh, a scholar athlete, probably is especially a good one. But I I, I am just saying that. It's not necessarily not assumed mm-hmm. that you're going to have to work for it yeah. if you go to Duke. It's it's something that maybe wasn't explicitly said mm-hmm. like it was explicitly said when Coach Cal said it. But Coach K, I, I, I highly doubt. I mean, he's a, he's a smart guy. I highly doubt that he is, he is saying that and not thinking if basketball ended for you, You'd still be okay. You've still got our support system. And if you work hard, you're going to be just fine. Before I ask you the final question I was going to ask, I want to bring this first question up first. Is This is me doing a little inferring, but if you had to put a percentage on this happening, what percentage would you put that either R.J. Barrett or you have Cameron Reddish that either one of those guys got an inkling or heard from a little birdie that Zion was heavily thinking about Duke or questioning Clemson for Duke, that either one of those didn't try to either hit him up through Facebook Direct, try to hit him up through a Twitter direct message, try to get his phone number to say, dude, we got the number one and the number two here. You come over here, 
We got the top three here. We're going to rule the world next year. What percentage would you put on that happening? And this is me completely inferring something that we don't know really happened. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, people are probably going to laugh at me. I'd put 100% on that. Mm-hmm. Come on. I'd say at least 50 Come at on. the lowest. I, I, I would put 100, mm-hmm. 100% that one of them in some way Maybe even both tried, of them. Tried, to, tried to reach out to him or tried to reach out to somebody who was close to him to say, does he know what we could have over mm-hmm. here? Does he know that we could be the dream team? Mm-hmm. Come on. Come on. Totally. The true last question I'm going to ask you is, you've got R.J. Barrett, we've got Cameron Radish, we've got Zion Williamson— Two of those, the one and two, have already signed their letters of intent. Zion's a hard commit right now, assumingly he's going to sign that LOI. Look into your crystal ball for next year. These three guys leading Duke along with Trey Jones coming in. No matter how many of the starting five leave for the NBA this year, where's Duke when we get to this point next year and going into the tournament? Number one in the ACC. Mm-hmm. They're the number one seed in the tournament. Um, and, and, like and, and, overall? And, no, 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 no. In their, in, their, in their ACC tournament. Oh, okay. So they're number one there. They're a number one seed going into the tournament, mm-hmm. and they're probably a top four um, overall. Are they the no? Could they look in your crystal ball? Give me a percentage that they are the number one overall seed when we get to March Madness next year. Fifty. Fifty percent. Fifty. I think it would really come down to, for me. And I mean, this is not looking at. Actually, I can pull it up really quick where the team rankings are. I would be shocked if they were not number one. Yeah, they're number one. So the top five recruiting classes right now for 2018 Duke at number one, Oregon at number two. They're going to be interesting yeah. because the one that one recruit that they do have that's huge is um, the center coming out of Nevada, Ball Ball. Which is going to be a fun name to say next year. B O L B O L, ball ball. Um, <laughs> then you have UCLA, then you have Kentucky, then you have Kansas. That's your top five for the recruiting classes right now for 2018. And I just want to say, so you, you said Kentucky at what, number three, number four? Three. Another reason why Coach Calipari <laughs> may have been a little upset because that could have, they could have been bumped number him one. to two. Possibly number one. Or number one. I mean, if you have the one two recruit, I think it'd be hard to bump Duke at number one. I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm just I know. saying. I know, know what you're saying. It, that it, would mean four you could, you could possibly bump to two though. Yeah. You could possibly mm-hmm. bump to two. But. Ahead of an Oregon team. Yeah. But this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think. What do you think about Zion's decision to go to Duke? What do you think it's going to mean for Duke and college basketball next year? And then kind of the side one that we went into that's a fun little discussion of, what do you think about Coach Cal's comments? What do you what do you think about the whole Coach Cal's comments, kind of throwing a little shade at Duke? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But that is going to do it for the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. Housekeeping here at the end of the podcast, number one. If you have not already, make sure to take that MVP survey. We want your feedback to help make this even better in the year of 2018. If you liked what you listened to, you liked what you saw, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. It helps us keep the lights on and make sure that we can do more exciting things for you. If you want a t-shirt, that is all in the description. If you're on iTunes, make sure you go and give the primetime podcast a five star rating. 
And then also make sure to bookmark Most Valuable Podcast so you're always up to date with what's going on with MVP. I want to thank you guys for watching. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.